Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Today is July 31st, 2017. My name is Lyle Balinqua, and I am a co-host of Heritage Voices Podcast, along with Jessica Yanquinto. Today we are here with Susan Sikakwaptiwa and Marissa Nevaistiwa, who are here to talk about the Hopi Vewat Learning Center and Museum Project they are involved with, with the Hopi Tribe. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and start with a quick introduction with both of you. Just uh, who you are, where you're from, what you do, and then we'll kind of launch into it. Good morning, everyone. Uh, this is Susan Sikakuku. Uh, my married name now is Susan Sikakwaptiwa, though. That's how I'm known today. I'm um, Sikakwaptiwa is my Hopi name, and I'm a member of the Butterfly Clan. I'm Hopi, and I live at the village of Sopaolevi, where my father is from, but uh, my family and clan's from Sitsomovi village in First Mesa. Uh, Marissa Nevaistua, um from the Corn Clan and um, from the village of Tewa. That's fine. Um, why don't you also talk about where you work at and what you do, just sure. to give people a sense of you know that that context. Right now, I I'm uh, this is Susan. Right now, I work at the uh, Hopi Foundation. I serve as the program director there at the um, the foundation. I do a lot of other work outside of that, though. Um, a founding member of the Hopi Food Co-op, very, in, very involved and engaged in the community food work there. Um, also, did a lot of the Hopi Vewat project that we're going to talk about today in my volunteer time. I'm also a museum consultant and still do a little bit of that when I can, and just a gardener. That's what I love to do most. So, that's part of what how I spend my days. Professionally, this is Marissa. Professionally, um, my title is Capacity Building Director over at the Hopi Foundation as well. I've been working there over the last five years. Um, prior to that, um, was doing work nationally um, in the field of philanthropy, native philanthropy. So my background comes from that arena as well, understanding um, or teaching tribes how to build their own foundations. And so... Um, you know, my, my skills um, and knowledge in the field of Native philanthropy is kind of what helps ground me in the work when I think about capacity building here locally on Hopi and um, thinking out of the box about how we can um, invest as a people in, in our own strengths as a community and taking that with, um, 
with infused with our cultural knowledge and teachings and the way we were brought up and um, taught by our elders about the importance of not forgetting about our culture and our language and how we do business today. So that kind of um, really is my guiding, um, my guide in the work that I do today and also a member of the food co-op. I think there's a lot of similarities that Susan and I have shared in our passions. And so we just support one another in that. Cool. It, it You know, listening to your descriptions of what you do and what you like to do both professionally and personally, uh, there's a lot of community involvement in, in what you're doing here. And so I mm-hmm. think that's a really good place to start with in terms of where did this idea, what, what does Hopi Vewa mean? Not, maybe not just literally in, in the Hopi language, but what is the concept of it? And where did this idea of a museum slash learning center slash whatever else it's supposed to become, how did that come about and, and where did your uh, involvement begin? Let's, let's start with Susan. Sure. Um, I was a first year out of uh, undergrad school when I started working for the Hopi tribe at the Pre- Cultural Preservation Office. I, I received a planning degree, uh, community planning um, degree at the time. Really wasn't sure what I wanted to do professionally, but wanted to commit to the com- back to my community. I think every tribal person has that general goal in mind. So I moved back home and was at the preservation office, and that's when I learned about plans that the tribe had to build a cultural center slash museum. And I had never heard of, seen or heard of these plans before that time. I just happened to run across them as I was doing research on other things in the office. So I saw um, blueprints and conceptual um, papers, and they even had job descriptions. And I was blown away because I, I really had no idea this was there. And but it really inspired me to to and excited me about the possibility of working in this place. And I, when I saw it, I was immediately drawn to it and I said, that's where I want to work. That's what I want to do. Because before I didn't really quite have a sense of where I was going to sit in the community. And so um, it wasn't built at the time. They were just, they were actually old drawings. They were, they were like very old by then, 20 some years old. But I really believe that the tribe was going to build mm-hmm. it at the time. And the first thing I thought of was, okay, well, who's going who's gonna to work in this place when it's built? And nobody I knew at the time was working in, in that kind of field. So I made a decision that year to go back to school and, and launch my path in, in the museum field. So I, I only worked at the Cultural Preservation Office one year, enrolled into a grad program in anthropology, and then start working and in, interning at museums. And that led me in a path of 16 years of um, finalizing a graduate degree and, and that much experience in great museums across um, the country. Uh, I returned back home 16 years ago and that's it still was sitting as a plan on the shelf and um, so that's when I initiated it but I so I, part of what I'm talking about is I guess reconnecting to your community recommitting to your community and then in the end is sometimes you're the one that has to build the idea rebuild the idea because the idea was 30 years old easily or maybe 20 years old 15 years old at the time but now it's about 30 35 years old and um, I realized as I was doing research there was a lot of people before me whose whose idea this was uh, people who are no longer here um, they had reading some old documents and letters you know there was um, great interest by our community to have something of this nature to support our community and 
um, cultural education, perhaps in museum slash collections work, exhibit work, and then also to support the tourism um, uh, part of our community. It, it, it was originally designed to help do that as well. So it was a it's a it's a plan that I inherited or I heard of and became my my plan and my vision and. Um, we're now at the stage to try and make it a reality because mm -hmm. it still uh, was still just an idea and a big vision at the time. So 2009 is when we ju I jumped in and just decided, okay, what, what can we do about this if, if this is what we really want? If this is what I really want, mm -hmm. too, because it was just sitting as an idea for a long time. When you mentioned um, <clears throat> some of that early museum work, like you, you came across a set of plans, where did that idea originate from? And during your research, how did you find out who kind of maybe was the, the starter or the innovator of, of actually going down the route of saying we're going to initiate this idea of a museum? Unfortunately, we can't find some of those early documents or I don't even know if it was documented. Um, all we can, all we really found were the, the finalized plans of the conceptualization, the the building plans, blueprints. So some of the real early, early um, ideas were not, we haven't been able to find any documentation. Um, what I what I've did find in some of my research was some letters written by Mr. Fred Cabote before the Hopi Cultural Center Museum was built. Mm -hmm. Um, which is another small independent nonprofit museum, but he was talking. He was an artist. Mm -hmm. uh, he worked for the Department of Interior. He he was involved in a well-known artist actually across the country. A lot of connections. Uh, was connected to the Indian American Indian Arts Institute in Santa Fe, and he just saw the the many things. He was real a real visionary. He's he saw the the artistic quality of our community members mm -hmm. here at Hopi. He was doing murals all over the place. He saw how we could make an impact in the arts field. And it was really, he, he, so that's the only research I found was Fred, um, Fred Cabote's letters of um, wanting to create a small place where we could support artists mm -hmm. in our community. And, and he saw a museum based on his work with other museums as a way to do it. And so um, that actually was born. This very small Hopi Museum that still exists today was is there mm -hmm. and still there, barely. But um, the bigger tribal plans, we've never found documents. Um, hmm. But but there's conversations that we know of that took place by uh, people who are gone now. They're, they were uh, people like LG and Josh Vietma. Um, I don't know if you remember some of the names that we've been hearing. Um, Marissa. Uh, Honani. There's a gentleman, Honani from Kipoksmon. Um So there's, there's about six or seven older elders they're probably young men at the time who, who who were supportive of a museum idea and i don't know how connected they were to fred's idea um they weren't artists per se they were just elders in the mm -hmm. community who envisioned so mm -hmm. unfortunately we don't have that research mm -hmm. though um that's those are the questions we're asking ourselves like where did this who really stemmed yeah. stem or how did this begin but it's had many very life cycles and then died out and then revitalized and died out over the course of 30 years. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Somewhere out there is the holy grail of documentation <laughs> or somewhere someone has notes. Yeah, um, talking about this. So it always sounds like this idea of what this institution or whatever it's going to be has always been a community-based idea. And so it's yes. um, really unique in that respect in the sense that it's 
always been home-based. Uh, the idea has always been that Hopi has been looking for something from within its own communities to mm -hmm. serve uh, the people here at home. Trying to balance that, you know, that fine line of what do we preserve for ourselves and how do we go about doing that, uh, but also how do we um, balance the, the outside interests of people coming in. So, Correct, yes. Um, it's really neat to see that or kind of get that understanding of where the museum idea came about and, and how you jumped in. And so how about you, Marissa? Where do you find yourself entering the game here? Um, back in the, what, 2009, I believe Susan came to the foundation asking for some help and support in launching, relaunching the idea of the museum. and. So it was more of a formal um, introduction to supporting what Susan's efforts were at the time um, in my role as the capacity building director for the Hopi Foundation. And later on, you know, as, as, it, as it evolved, um, and now, you know, my main role was helping <coughs> bring partners to the table that I knew that would be interested in supporting such an effort and, and helping to build that interest on the ground um, because I, I at, during that time, I felt like any kind of um, new idea or, or even just the thought of building a, a cultural resource center for our community, uh, um, it was important to involve as much community from the very beginning to support this effort, um, understanding that um, in terms of the state of our tribe during that time, there was really nobody that was um, pushing that effort. So coming from a tribal stance in terms of our governance, I knew that we had to build uh, a team uh, mm -hmm. from the community to really support that effort and create buy-in um, with our own governance, um, with our tribe. So, um, you know, that was really kind of the role that I played in, in supporting Susan um, and this idea. And then also looking at, looking at it from a, a community member as a mom, you know, I really wanted to see something like this come to fruition for our future generations um, and wanting to support that um, and inspire others that, you know, we have the capability to build our own resources if that initiative isn't going to come directly from our tribal government. Mm -hmm. You know, we as a community can take the lead in the in um, these same um goals and objectives that was once um, part of um, a tribe tribal effort you know in the past and so um, you know I feel like that's that's the role that a nonprofit can play in the community is to help bring res other resources to the table to support um, initiatives like this so you know that was where my frame of thinking was in terms of helping to develop local partnerships but also um, um, develop um, relationships coming from the nonprofit sector uh, that could be resources for us um, to help build some ground around um, and build momentum around this project. You mentioned that uh, you currently work as the capacity builder. Um, what, what does that mean? What, what does your daily work kind of look, look like? And, and so people get a sense of how your work there, and we'll get back to Hopi Foundation's role in a, in a broader sense, but mm -hmm. how does your work as the capacity builder uh, facilitate what Susan's ideas and what other folks have in terms of how a museum comes to fruition? 
in relation to this project, you know, my role in as a capacity building director is really to kind of as a and working for a nonprofit is really helping to build um, the sectors to come together, um, such as the business sector, our tribal government sector, um, and then the community. Um, we're, we're a huge asset within our within our own community. Um, and we have a lot of people and a lot of, I guess, when I look at the population that lives out here, we have a lot of cultural um, elders that, that um, and we know a lot about the culture. We have um, retired folks that are coming. Some of them are moving back home that have um, a lot of professional skills to, to contribute to something. So I, I look at the community as a whole um, and look at ways that we can be innovative in bringing these folks to the table to support um, projects like this. And so when I look at um, externally um, into our community, that's what I see. And I see the whole landscape and see how we could best utilize our resources to support uh, one another. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that kind of thinking um, comes from really it's like um, something that we were always taught by our elders is to be um, creative with the skills that we have and mm -hmm. make best resources of the tools that we have um, and apply it. And so, you know, today, now, nowadays, they call it social entrepreneurship or, you know, um, being business smart. Um, but, you know, back in the 70s or even before the 70s, our community was already doing that, being resource, resourceful. Um, and in relation to this project, I, I, I've seen a boost um, looking historically back around the 70s where people were moving back home who had gone away to boarding school, mm -hmm. coming back home wanting to apply the skills that they have, opening up their own businesses um, such as the, um, the co-op, um, you know, where people were coming home wanting to make, you know, jewelry. Um, and make a living off of it. So, you know, they were applying what skills they knew. Um, and I feel like this project is kind of representative of that. You know, we have the cultural knowledge that's something that we don't have to build, mm -hmm. but we have people that are ready to be plugged in. Um, it's just building the facility um, mm -hmm. to allow the space um, for those things to happen. And so, you know, as in my role, that's, that's where I come in to help connect those resources and make it happen. Um, internally, I, I do sort of similar um, type of technique is working one-on-one -on -one with our staff to help build their skills um, so that they can become better managers, um, helping them to express um, their, their um, skill sets to, to really um, be able to leverage their own strengths too mm -hmm. as individuals. And so... Um, I look at it as a contribution to investing into our human assets mm. um, within our community. Um, and so that's really kind of my role as the capacity building director is to help um, build those skills and resources and partnerships to support our programs and help them grow. Well, I think this is a good time to take our first break. Uh, so we'll go ahead and do that real quick. Uh, the rest of you, why don't you stay tuned and we'll be right back with Susan and Marissa. need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. 
product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, we are back from our break. Uh, let's go ahead and continue the interview here um, and start off with another question. What were some of the early steps that you took, Susan, beyond research when you when you decided that this is what you wanted to do and, and be, make it something of a lifelong project for you? Um, beyond that, once you made that leap, uh, maybe shaking your head a little bit about it, but once you made that leap, what was uh, kind of the first uh, tangible steps that you t- undertook to get the momentum going? Yeah, I'm sitting here laughing as you're talking about lifelong project. There's a couple people who already said that this has been their lifelong project, and we're still where we're at. And it, and it, mm-hmm. you know, I'm laughing, but it really is true. When I, when I decided at whatever old I was, 21 or so, to to do this, I didn't realize, you know, how long it would take. Mm-hmm. So wrapping your head around. Um, well, at the time, I really didn't think I was going to be building it. So, you know, I thought it was going to be working. And and then you, another significant moment in time is when I returned back to the community, it still wasn't built, and I was still waiting for somebody to build it. You're right, I did make a, a at some point I finally said, okay, well, if, no, no, like, who's going to do this? You know, when is it going to happen? Getting really frustrated about it, because up to this point, I had just put my whole my whole life experience work ex- really work experience and education into preparing for working mm-hmm. in this place realizing that you know what it's going to have to be me if it's if, if nobody else if nobody else is going to do it maybe it has to be me and that's a big scary moment in, in a young person's life and so I think for those listening you know at some point it, it is you mm-hmm. you have to decide it is you that's going to take this and try and figure it out and try and move it to the next step and so the first, once I kind of took a deep breath, I, uh, I um, visited the Hopi Foundation as a, as a means to try and help me figure out how to start this, and, you know, where to go. And they were, they were um, uh, great at directing me to write my thoughts down because mm-hmm. all, all of this was, it, it's been in my head since I saw those plans in, in, in 94, whenever that was. And so I was able to jot down kind of what I, what I, all the research, a summary of the research and where I thought we should go. And um, from that point on, that they recommended meeting Marissa because I'm, I'm trained in museum work. That's mm-hmm. that, that's the focus I bring to the table and that's the experience I bring. And it's a limited experience in, in the end. And at the time, I thought that's really what it was going to just be because mm-hmm. I was familiar with the issues at the Hopi Tribe, meaning we have three collections we're already managing. We have um, NAGPRA issues that the Cultural Preservation Office currently um, deals with, and there's a lot of need there that a museum, a traditional museum, would, would help support. And that's really where I was coming from. But when I brought when when Marissa and I was introduced to her, reintroduced as adults because we are we were, our families are old friends, we didn't work together up to that point. But she um, she was one of the first persons at the table and brought a whole new perspective to mm-hmm. to this 
to this project, um, you know, pulling my lens back because I was very focused on museum work, pulling it back to looking at it as a community project and what other things do we need. And uh, so that was probably the real first step was me. It was research and then documenting kind of a, a paper, if you will, of all these ideas and thoughts of what it could be and then starting to build a team. Mm -hmm. And Marissa was one of the first team members there to um, to help and a couple other people, Gloria Lamahaftiwa was is a museum professional as well. We'd sit down and talk every couple of years about how great this would be, and so I pulled her in at the beginning. And um, but this this kind of project takes commitment. I mean, you think you commit to a board or you commit to you know a few. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a lot of commitments we can make, but it's been uh, seven, two thousand nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirty. It's been nine years since I sat down with Marissa. And a year before that, I was doing all the writing and research. And, and we've been researching since then, too. And for about, and I haven't gotten paid a dime for that work. So mm -hmm. all of this is investment by you as a person and, and, and a commitment to seeing something through. So there are times when I wanted to stop, pull out, and because it was just felt like it was going nowhere. So there's, you know, there's, there's, energy and there's high points and low points and it's a long process so some of the next steps i guess was just to uh, deciding like okay what are those big areas that we need to continue to do so we decided that we would start building connections to people and organizations whom we thought would be supportive and um, might be interested in helping and the first question we get in the hopi community when we talk about this project is well what are you doing about the hopi museum because there is an mm -hmm. existing Nonprofit independent Hopi Museum that's struggling. Um, it's giving museums a bad name. You know how you, people go into museums and say, "Oh, mm -hmm. they see the same thing over and over again." It's expensive to to turn things over, mm -hmm. and so this museum it's the same stuff they've had in there for years. And so um, that was to me the first place I thought we should start is working. You know, bringing them to the table and saying, "Look at what we're doing. That we, you know, you want to join us? We, mm -hmm. we should all be working together because this is really a community project." So, identifying early potential partners whom we thought were would be interested in supporting this work and be mutually beneficial to them and helping them. So um, we we started putting a presentation together of all this research we were doing. We started visiting a few villages, um, working with non, you know, sharing this idea with nonprofits, just to really get the idea that, you know, did you know, even know about this project and this is what we like to do and what do you think about mm -hmm. it? Um, just real preliminary kind of um, presentations on the, on the idea. Um, that led to a lot of questions that we weren't ready to answer. <laughs> I think we felt that everybody was interested in it, but mm -hmm. they were asking us like, okay, well, wh where is it going to be built? And how big is it going to do? And what what's going to be in it? And we're like, um, we think it could be this, this, this. You know, mm -hmm. we're not quite there. I'm answering exactly that, but, and I was bringing my kind of museum perspective and all the tribal issues and challenges that this could support. I'd share that. And then we'd talk about, you know, family dynamics and how this could support family learning and so it was kind of it was a huge big vision that we were sharing with people but um, we realized in a, in a while that we, we needed to really understand what we were doing and pull back a little bit because hmm. people wanted answers and we couldn't give them answers 
So we recognize we're a little preliminary. We didn't, but we wouldn't have known that until we started going mm-hmm. out there. But from these presentations, we also begin to get committed people who were willing, willing to help us. And I and organizations, a few organizations or groups of people who were willing to really support it, and a few individuals who just were jazzed about what we we're doing and wanted to help and be involved. And that's how we begin to also build a team having a lot of meetings um, at least once a month um, so and then so we built partners with the Hopi tribe land team or land commission as they're known today uh, we built a partnership with the Munkapi Development Corporation at the time they had plans to build a museum we, we learned and so they were really interested in what we were doing um, those were probably our two big early champions the Hopi Foundation gave us in-kind support to have meeting space and you know be sounding boards to our I, um, our ideas and our process and it was at, actually the Hopi Foundation as well that encouraged us to begin documenting how we're doing this work because you know none of us set out to build this thing and so how do you do it is the first question we're like figuring this out as we go along so a lot of things have been built in our community but no one ever documents or we don't know where that research mm-hmm. is so <laughs> so document what you're doing so others behind you can learn how to do this too or you know can you can share mm-hmm. your experiences so we did a lot of great research I mean it led, it led from one point to another um, and Marissa can share more I think that I'm not remembering at the time but one of the things that we did find out was that we or realized that we wanted to do was a lot of conversations about keeping this entity separate from the Hopi tribe mm-hmm. It, it would support the Hopi tribe, but it wouldn't be within the Hopi tribe. The, we, we recognize the research we're doing that the past ex, um, uh, efforts to build a museum were always, they were funded heavily and supported heavily by the Hopi tribe, but they also were not fully seen because of issues of the tribe, mainly politics and administrative leadership turnover. Mm-hmm. And we, we recognize that, you know, this is this is needs to stay here for a long time. Once it's up, we, we need to be able to keep it safe from those types of risks and impacts. So we some early decisions, we decided it was going to be separate, but we didn't know how separate and what connection it was going to be. So the, one of the first things we did was do some nonprofit research mm. on what kind of nonprofit it was going to be. Most museums are nonprofits in, in, the, you know, in the country. Um, and so we... You know, we just identified things like that that we needed to learn more about and then make some informed decisions on, on, on the next steps. And that would lead to more questions, so we go down and do more research. And so it's been slow but steady pace. And I don't know if Marissa wants to add any more to the... Like, that's how it, that's how it got started nine years ago. Yeah. Well, um, the only thing I have to add is just uh, what Susan just described is really just, you know, launching um, the idea um, and it wasn't already existing idea, so it's kind of like reintroducing it into the community and to the partners about, hey, we have this great plan here, you know, and we, we want as community members to be able to make it um, come become a reality. And so a lot of the initial work was about building awareness again of, of that idea and the plan of the tribe and um, just kind of getting their perspectives on what they thought about that because it's a new generation that we're speaking to in terms of the audience, new leadership. Um, would they be on board or not? You know, if, if this is a, if this idea is still true today, that it's something that's a real great need. You know, who's on board to support? And that was kind of initially why we started doing these presentations was just to get a feel for that 
get a feel for if we really would have community support around this and who'd be willing to assist us in, the, in going forward with it. And so, um, and then also to hear others' perspectives about what they feel are community needs, because we did talk about the vision. Um, for me, I, I feel the vision is broader than the concept of a museum coming, mm -hmm. coming to it from a cultural um, community member here. I, I really value the culture that we have. I feel like we're not making best use of the knowledge that we could be um, in the manner that will benefit the youth and um, future generations. So I feel like um, in this day and age, um, I, I actually really broadened that vision um, to look at it from how can we as a community come together to make some real sound decisions about how we want to build and strengthen our cultural assets within our own community because you know we have our culture we have our ceremonies that that we um that support that but in a in a way that society that we exist in this society today how can we use that same knowledge to help guide our decisions into the future and i felt like this would be a platform to you to delve deep into those kind of conversations um and to be able to create policy that helps to further that because right now at the tribal level we don't have you know a policy that says you know every school should have hopilovai as uh, you know at the forefront of their curriculum you know some basic decisions like that i think could be made to to be able to benefit everyone and so i felt like this um, the idea or the vision could be inclusive of how mm -hmm. we want to um, responsibly manage our own assets in our community and it'd be a, a space where people can come together to share their ideas about that um, and so it's really um, so you know the whole early you know back in 2000s the early um, stages was really kind of building awareness gaining support and um, hearing back from other people what their thoughts and ideas were about this same vision. And so um, I feel like now that we've gotten to the point to where we're at, now we actually have committed folks that are really wanting to drive this um, project to the next level, which is really, um, what do you call that, becoming a, you know, institutionalizing it. So um, applying for the status of a nonprofit um, just establishing a board, so now we're actually, you know, at that stage where we're, we're um, you know, working on the the um, policies that's going to help to guide our decision making going forward with this project. Let me make one more point that I think is is key to understanding those early years was this this plan, this vision, um, set and still sits within the Hopi tribal government. Mm -hmm environment and, and planning documents. A lot of investment was made by the Hopi tribe in the past in this. And so when when I initiated it, it wasn't, you know, I, I, I still saw it as a tribal thing. I didn't work for the tribe. I was just a volunteer at that point, a real committed, passionate community <laughs> member. Uh, so when I brought Marissa to the table and uh, a few others, the, the first person that was also there was the director of cultural preservation who, mm -hmm. where this project sits under because that we knew that we couldn't do it without them mm -hmm. and we shouldn't do it without mm -hmm. them. Once again, looking at community as we're all in this together, we're all doing this for each other. Yeah, you work for the government and yeah, you might be from a village, but you know, we're all, we should all be thinking about how we can do this together. So that was key and part of these early years was building a relationship with the cultural preservation office as 
as just volunteers and committed people from the community on a project. And it took a long time. That that took, probably took the longest, but that's so important to building that relationship and building some level of trust and sharing, showing, I guess, and demonstrating that we're, we're, we're committed. Mm-hmm. And we have a standing joke with Lee all the time, uh, who's the director, that I said, I, I said, Lee, I'm going to start, I'm nudging you now. I'm starting to, like, you know, bang in with my elbows to his side saying, remember, because I've been talking about this since mm-hmm. then, but, I mean, since I was, sell those plans in 94. And every time I'd see him, I'd mention it. But now I'm really going to start, you know, really pushing you. And so we have a joke that I, you know, like my bony elbows are coming into into our good asset right now because it's, you know, that's what you have to do. You have to kind of just be there all the time and mm-hmm. talk about it, be in your face, but also show, do some of the work that should be probably done by, you know, I mean, and I guess in some ways it could have been done by people of the his office, but they're overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just overworked. Just have too much on their plate, and I knew they couldn't. They couldn't commit the time that need, this needed mm-hmm. to get done. So we built this relationship and partnership with him from that very beginning, and that's where you know we still see this as a partnership with mm-hmm. the tribe. Let's talk about. Uh, you, you mentioned when you decided when you all as a group, um, a working group, and now you're going to have uh, active board members and perhaps an advisory board. When you make that decision to go down the nonprofit road, what are the pros and cons versus, uh, you know, there's different um, mechanisms that this institution can become a reality through. One is the nonprofit realm. Again, you mentioned early on, one can be a formal tribal program that's under the tribal government, uh, whether it's through 638 contracts or some other, you know, federal mechanism that helps us move along. What are some of the, the obstacles or, or issues that you had to deal with in terms of, okay, we're going to go ahead and, and move forward as a nonprofit? What was the ultimate impetus to say that would be most beneficial for us right now? And either one of you can answer to that. I think I always knew it should be a nonprofit. I, I, I mean, and I was probably advocating for that, that it, it really does need to be separate, connected, but separate. And so it was, I was very clear and transparent on that. It wasn't an issue for me. And most, uh, Marissa comes from the nonprofit field and I'll let her share her answer, but um, it just, there's just so much experience in in any tribal community about how uh, tribal government is really hard to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sustainability is one, financial sustainability is one piece of that, but just the bureaucratic nature of, of a tribal government um, trying to, you know, write grants and funnel money through. It's it's just difficult. It's just hard, and I'm not saying that's a great excuse, but um, but I also don't. Uh, to me, the, this is my personal opinion. It's just that the tribal government really is not set up to support that type mm-hmm. of work as well. They they do some of it, mm-hmm. but um, it's just not designed for that as well. So it just makes it harder. Um, this we had conversations with everyone around the table and. Um, Everyone's just very clear that this was, there was really no argument mm-hmm. in my opinion. But I, you know, Marissa could share more about what she's what she remembers. But I remember it just it was it was really a not not a question. Well, we had those kind of inklings early on, but we also did our due diligence through research. You know, we talked with other, um, I, I you know I have my connections in the nonprofit arena. Of, um, <clears throat> founders of um, tribal museums and you know they told me their their um, opinions about that and mm-hmm. a lot of the tribes that 
um, decided to go that route um, in terms of developing their own museums, went the nonprofit route. Um, for that very reason that Susan stated, um, because of um, tribal politics, and they wanted to wanted to this institution um, to be owned and and built by the community for the community. So that real strong, um, I guess, empowerment from the community saying, this is our institution, we want it, what we feel like we need it for, and we want, and we want it to be built around those, those needs. So it was really community driven, you know, in the sense that that was gonna be the best way to meet the needs of the community. So, um, you know, so we did the nonprofit research. We also did um, look at the various types that they incorporated. So as a five, straight up five hundred one c three or a seven eight seventy one, uh, recognizing in the in the philanthropic arena, uh, working with mainstream funders, they primarily recognize five hundred one c threes. Then they're not too familiar with seventy eight seventy one structures, which are actually um, only available to tribal governments to be able to establish their own foundations or nonprofits. And so they're not familiar with that structure, so they don't fund them. Hmm. And so that was a challenge for some of the museums that did go that route um, is to be able to be able to receive the same kind of funding that a 501c3 would. Um, and so um, that's what kind of made our final decisions. We're lucky to be able to take advantage of um, the was it UCLA? Or yeah, we had connections with UCLA Tribal Law Clinic, who did a lot of research for us. They're they're great. That's a great asset for anyone is tap the Tribal Law Clinics because part of their classes include doing research for tribal communities. Yes. So I had a connection with the job I had before that connected us to UCLA's law clinic. Mm -hmm. So they did all the groundwork for us in terms of researching that and the pros and cons of. of um, incorporating through each route and, and did a public presentation to our community which we're always looking at ways that we can give back in this project to our community so what the learn, research, yeah. <laughs> research that we've um, that they conducted for us we held a community um, event for people to come learn and understand the difference between 501 C C3 and 7871 and how well that's been working for tribes um, for anyone that's interested in incorporating um, for whatever and so we, that was our contribution back to our own community to educate them about that and our findings as well. So it's been really um, helpful to do that kind of research and to get the guidance we have from the experts that have already journeyed this, mm -hmm. this for themselves. And, um, and it was really, I think, a breaking point for us when we were able to get consensus with the Cultural Preservation Office that this was the best route. Mm -hmm. um, because of the, they've seen how um, you know they have direct impact of um, leadership at the governance level and how they're not uh, haven't been showing much support around building this facility mm -hmm. and and um, right now don't have the financial means to do that and so um, we figure this would be our way of being able to support that need in terms of the, on the tribal end where they don't have the assets to to build something like this and so that will be the nonprofit's contribution to that. I think it, we have to bring ourselves out of sometimes we get um, I mean with any project and cult, any project with culture is also just hugely can be hugely um, political in itself but kind of taking the just that that content context out of it and just looking at the vehicles mm. 
you know, of, of and means that we have as any community does. And um, we've already recognized that the Hopi tribe, you know, has limited financial resources or, you know, has has issues with, with that part of it. How else can we bring assets and financial means to the community? So it's not really about the tribe is better. Or we're, you know, it's just mm-hmm. looking at the tools and, and vehicles. And so nonprofit um, uh what, what do you call it? Non-profit infrastructure and tools are the way to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they you can set up these these uh, organizations that help. That's what they help do is is um, field and bring and connect, um, give a vehicle for people who wish to contribute in different types of ways to any kind of project. So, just looking at that in itself was a is you know I think taking yourself out of the big picture and just looking at vehicles is is kind of huge and. Some of the early grad work I did too was looking at different tribal structures. Like there's several different tribes who did, uh, who created a museum as a tribal program. Mm-hmm. Interviewing them, like what was that like, and you know, how are you still sustainable? How have you been able to grow? And um, and then all the way out to what we're thinking of now. And then we have a great organization in our community, the Hopi Education Endowment Fund, who is structured as a seven eight seven one. So we visited them and talked to them about their challenges mm-hmm. as that as part of our decision making, and they they um, help provide insight for us so just looking around you and learning from others um, that's that's how we were able to get to where we're at now as well so a big question people probably ask in your early presentations uh, how much is this going to cost <laughs> what, what were your what are your ideas about that and I know it's it's uh, an unknown number maybe at this point based on some of those early projections when you said you talked about uh, finding museum plans was there a dollar amount already associated with those plans mm-hmm. that you discovered there was some early dollar amounts and this is probably the 80s when um, mid to late 80s when they were finalized and um, I can't remember if it, there's a whole housing element that mm-hmm. was actually designed mm-hmm. as part of it, and I can't remember the housing part of it was included. But some of the early numbers in the '80s were uh, 11 to 15 million mm-hmm. um, for that plan at that time. Mm-hmm. We are 30, almost 40 years since that point, and you know we have a, another team member who's a architect and did some early estimates. On, I mean, just looking at the same square footage mm-hmm. and the same blueprint to that of that time and you know looking at the costs to build and um and you know we don't quite know what it was going to be built from so these are just really early estimates i mean it's jumped up to easily something like 40 plus mm-hmm. million if we were to build that those type that particular structure so we're looking at a large amount of money um but we also recognize that we probably can't build all that at one time mm-hmm. so it's really you know those they, they give you really good, you know, hum, it's a lesson in humility of what you're really dealing with. And then it brings you back in my, as, as a, to some degree, a project manager on this is like, okay, what's, what's feasible, what's mm-hmm. doable because, you know, we don't have 40 million floating around right now. So <laughs> how, where do we start with? And so we haven't even gotten to like the real projections mm-hmm. of our project yet. We're really just trying to build a team and build, um, find a location. The, the land sites really can't design anything until you have a piece of land to design around. But yes, those are the early projections. Yeah, what about site location? <clears throat> I know that's been, uh, there have been several offers in the past from different communities out here at Hopi, but also off reservation. 
um, are those still kind of uh, in contention, so to speak? And I know that's still probably down the line somewhere many, many years, perhaps, perhaps hopefully not too far down the line. But um, I think it sounds like this is hopefully going to be something that's based on the Hopi Reservation first and foremost. And you talked about we can't build it all at once. So maybe like a repository uh, for actual curated items partially located here on the reservation mm -hmm. or somewhere else. Yeah, we, we don't. Right now, it's everything under the sun and all those great ideas everybody has. Uh, about a year ago, we, before we even get to that point, because it, it has to, what I'm going to share has to do with mm -hmm. even that question, is we built um, continual partnerships with the Cultural Preservation Office and built a great alliance with the Hopi Land Commission, which is a, a subset of the council that deals with certain issues, land being one of them. And they've always been a champion of this project, and um, we've been consistently meeting with them over the course of these years. And so last year, uh, the director of the Cultural Preservation Office, Lee, suggested it was time to now present this to the full council and get mm -hmm. some support. And so um, a resolution was drafted and submitted last fall to the council, and they approved, approved this with some, some money to support it. And some of that money included hiring two project um, staff and they sit under the cultural preservation mm -hmm. office and, and support the project from that from that perspective so they are the ones actually one of the first things they're doing is that those two project staff are now researching all those land hmm. um, offers mm -hmm. because there's I mean they were given even though years ago they're still on the table mm -hmm. formally so there's about three two definite land offers we know of that are per, that were permanently given in the past as part of the project development of this and then there's been maybe two or three others that are possibilities, but not formally given, but they're interested mm -hmm. and we haven't gone down that path. And then there's other other ideas that have come out since then. So we're right in the middle of doing, you know, getting um, a sense of where we are with those and where we might go. And we, we don't know the answer to that yet. Yeah. We're right in the middle of looking at our own feasibility, you know, in terms of um, what lands are being offered but also knowing exactly what we're going to be asking for in terms of the land space it's used and then also taking a look at um uh what kind of um what do you call that the, the word just left my mind infrastructure we're going to have to build there you know water supply all of that you know so you know that's eddie's eddie kalmantua has been our team member for for a while now and he's Architect, so he's the one that's taking us through. Um, we've been pushing him <laughs> to take us through this um, process of having uh, answering some of those questions. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what 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 would be the best option for us in terms of land, knowing this is what we're wanting, um, and we have developed a, a draft blueprint already. But what we're wanting to do is layer that blueprint, um, which is which is incorporated. Um, of all of the ideas that we've proposed as a team and then layering that on top of the old plants to see what we could still make use of from the old plants um, and then uh, developing a plan from that 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 should be our guide to helping us make decisions around land mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of where we're at right now we're just waiting to go through that process and then um, also continuing to um, strengthen that relationship with the tribe because they're the ones that are going to be um, uh, 
the naysayers or yaysayers in terms of uh, moving it forward mm-hmm. to um, thankfully we have you know uh, um, what do you call that uh, we've, we've gotten their approval to continue to work on this project Sanction. but you never know if that's going to change in terms of the mm-hmm. landscape because we're coming upon a new election so it's like we have to continuously work on that relationship at the tribal level to, to continue to support this project so you know there's a lot of moving pieces I think that mm-hmm. we're at right now so um, it's just staying consistent you know with, with those relationships and continuing to further that um, and keeping them aware of, of um, where we're at in um, the moving pieces and so that's really I think where a lot of our energy is going into right now um, we've just got news on our incorporation we filed our incorporation papers about a mm-hmm. month ago and we've received um, official designation from the state of Arizona mm. that we're incorporated so we're now in the process of filing our 501c3 application mm. with the IRS so so the Hopi tribe when they sanctioned us last fall um, this project we I guess the other point I should make before that is is that we had been working as a community team up to that point we're still grassroots we don't have any titles we don't have any money we just have this great idea and passion to keep going, and we realized at some point we can't operate that more any, mm-hmm. that way anymore. We can only get so far, and mm-hmm. um, it takes resources, it takes money, it takes commitment more than we were giving. And if we were going to be a true partner with the tribe, the tribe needed to be a formal partner. And so part of this decision to present this project to the tribe was was to get that formal partnership and. Um, from them and so the resolution that was passed designated this as a formal tribal project again and it created a task team of which a lot of us who are community members and volunteers on this were designated it gave us a small budget to hire some staff and it also recognized and no not recognized it um, it directed the culture preservation office as the program of the tribe who's going to be working on this from the tribal side to create this nonprofit that this new nonprofit. So, so we were already in planning on doing that. That was the path, but we educated them on the on the fact that this is how it should proceed. And so they sanctioned that whole mm-hmm. that whole initiative. And so we're on the track to to making that part happen. And so, um, yeah, you're right. We're just you know every time we see a council member, every time we see the chairman, I'm like throwing a little few mm-hmm. bits of where we're at with the project. And and it's, we can't just rely on the project staff to do that for mm-hmm. us. All of us are lobbyists. Mm-hmm. All of us are our ambassadors of the of this project okay cool well i think we'll go ahead and take our next break uh so we'll do that right now uh the rest of you uh keep listening and we'll be right back when we return with susan and marissa Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. All right, welcome back. Here we are with Susan and Marissa again. Let's go ahead and continue on with the interview. Yeah, we, we're relatively young people in the community, and so um, that we have that working against us sometimes. We're both female. Um, we haven't quit yet. 
you know so I think so it just it comes out in different ways mm-hmm. um, and I think that's I remember when I met when Marissa one of the first few conversations we had with Marissa I was sharing with her you know what we were trying to do and what I was trying to restart and and um, she said well I said we're trying to build a museum I said something like that and she said well we need to build relationships and I was like build relationships we're just trying to build a museum (laughs) not realizing and she was way ahead of me on that Mm -hmm. years later that that's what this is all about is is building relationships with people and building that trust and that's all I've been doing a lot of I mean we yeah we're doing actual stuff but it hinges on that relationship Mm -hmm. so I think how people treat us and begin to um or treat me at least as a woman as a young person is um, defined a lot on that relationship. Mm. So it take it took a long time for us to for me to really I maybe heavily realize I was serious. I just mm-hmm. you know wasn't going away and was persistent and building this relationship with the tribal council people and the land commission. And when they change, I find out who they were and start visiting with them. And it, it just takes time. Mm. And um, you they they begin to finally believe you and trust you and see who you are but it doesn't happen immediately mm-hmm. it just and i didn't i didn't really recognize as when i was launching this thing again that that was was what why it takes time mm-hmm. and today i recognize that as critical to our success and to how we move forward so when we build but bring in a new team member you know who are you and what can you do and we're glad you're here and inviting them and making sure they're part of the team and you know it it's 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 a great amazing idea that no people join because of the idea mm-hmm. but they stay because of how they're nurtured mm-hmm. and how they how we find a connection or how we help them find the mm-hmm. connection to this project because it's not always clear what you can do or how you can support mm-hmm. or what you can so so to me that's part of what i've been mm-hmm. able to do is um is i am yeah like see all these moving pieces and i see somebody who has maybe a, a you know, experience in this, I'm like, I got to pull that person in. You know, they need to be. I, mm-hmm. I can see how they can, I, how they can help, but they have to get there. And and when they're, when, if they do come, you know, nurturing that mm-hmm. and and celebrating them and thanking them. And so, part of it is team building, mm-hmm. and then part of it is relationship outside of that team because there's other people we have to work with and we want to work with and we want to work well with, and that's all hinges on that relationship that you build. So. Um, so we recognize, so don't take anything personally, you know, when we hear that, oh, you know, you're a bunch of women doing this and how come you're, you know, whatever it is mm-hmm. they use their comment on. We, we recognize that they just don't understand mm-hmm. what we're really trying to do and perhaps our role. Mm-hmm. In it. Uh, we've gotten comments that we're women and we shouldn't be handling sacred objects or, you know, sacred things from the community. And we're like, we actually probably won't, you know, in our minds, we know <laughs> we're not going to be doing that part of the work, but that's what they see. So mm-hmm. that's a red flag. We're just a note to us. That, okay. We got to go make sure they understand really where we're at and mm-hmm. what we're doing. And we're not even quite there yet. And remember we have a great culture preservation office team that he does all that. So just, you know, massaging those perspectives, yeah. being a good listener and recognizing where we need a lot of work to do. Add to that. Um, for me, you know, I, I, even though I initially stepped into this project, you know, as a staff person of the foundation, I, a lot of my perspectives and insight has come into play in this project as a community member. And, you know, in, in terms of addressing the challenges, you know, I just have 
real deep faith and hope um, that this, and I look at it as this isn't not only our vision, but it's the vision of our elders. And for me, that's my, 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 my momentum and my motivation to see this come to fruition. And it's not, it's not, it's not um, because of me. <laughs> and it's not, um, um, not only going to benefit me, and I think about those people that it's going to benefit in the future. And, um, and I just look at it as my role is just to help facilitate that to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not claiming, you know, to take a space of any kind of leadership. It actually doesn't fit in my um, role as a, as a corn clan member. I'm more um, in the community as a helper, and so if, if anything, that's that's my role is just to help. Um, and so when I look at it from that perspective, you know, as an individual, you know, it helps to keep keep me in keep things in perspective and um, and do what we do well which is as women we bring people to the table we feed them <laughs> we make sure that they they feel welcome um they we make sure that their um voices are heard um that their ideas are incorporated and that they feel like uh, they belong um and they become part of that vision and so that's to me i, I really play on those assets as, as a woman in this community and that's really kind of our role we're nurturers and so um you know that's how I look at this project too, in a sense, and you know just being smart about that and making sure that we um, relate to our own people the same way we would relate to them if they came through our front doors. You know, as their uncles, you know, if they're tahas or if they're our our souls or our guas, you know, whatever role that I see them, that's how I reach out to them first, um, and not to forget to leave that. I mean, I don't leave that behind. Um, and I think that's important in working in your own community is to address people in that manner first culturally and then go from there. A lot of the people that are serving in leadership right now in, in, the, in um, the council, you know, I, I see them um, from that perspective, you know, as relatives. Um, and so I know that even though um, conversations may be, ha- may be hard um, in those kind of um, scenarios, um, in, but I know I can always walk away and have a different kind of conversation later. Um, so, you know, those kind of things are, um, I think, important to remember when you're working on big projects like this. Is, is As long as you're keeping that relationship good, you know, on a co- um, community level, people will come to the table and will overcome their own um, nuances, you know, that come into play. Um, around because we all have our own opinions about things you know but let's talk about it you know let's learn more about it and um, let's come to a consensus Mm -hmm. around how we can um, support one another in that and even though we have our differences and so you know that's that's kind of the the role that I take um, when it comes to those um, scenarios and just kind of keep the team motivated around you know if it's not happening now it's going to happen at some point we Mm -hmm. just got to keep working on it and keep massaging like um, Susan said um, you know to bring um, those important stakeholders to the table um, so I recognize that you know for the first few years however many years I was I was carrying a lot of that and, and then as a team I was just getting tired mm-hmm. and you know talking persistence and I finally I said you know I can't I can't lead this anymore that way I'm, I'm getting tired I'm getting frustrated and so I learning to step back and I expressed that at a meeting and 
um, Marissa stepped up and others stepped up and said, okay, we're going to do this. So, you, you know, you, you lead, you know, at least the team meetings and those kinds of things. So just recognizing when you're tired or when you're, mm-hmm. when you need help and calling and allowing others to step mm-hmm. forward, it's huge. And we're on this, in this for the long haul. And, um, I have a great, we have a great team now that I can just be real frank. Like, I don't know how much more I can do this guys. I need help. <laughs> I need to, so we need a, like an energy session to, you know, so it, it, it's quite draining at times, but there's other times where it's just amazing that you're like, yeah, we finally reached a certain point, and, but it, it takes time. Mm-hmm. All this takes time. What is on the horizon for this process and the group? What are some goals that you have achieved? You mentioned filing your uh, 501 nonprofit status paperwork and having that approved. You mentioned uh, getting formal tribal resolution. Uh, you mentioned working through and developing a lot of uh, personal and professional relationships. So where does that all, where does this momentum take you now? What's going to get you over the next hump? And so what are your hopes in the next year or so that you are able to kind of uh, place as milestones? We, uh, the Hopi tribe granted um, the, the resolution or the funding for the resolution was only for one year. Mm-hmm. And that ends here in another month and a half, late September, I believe. So um, the horizon, the next immediate, you know, goal is to um, submit another request to keep to keep them. Um, I mean, to ask them to fund the project at least another year. That would be so we have to demonstrate what we've done up to this point. That's probably an immediate goal for us. We mentioned that we are in the process of file, submitting the five hundred one c three application, mm-hmm. and I don't know how long that'll take. Um, you know, there's, I hear anywhere from four months to two years, mm-hmm. depending on your application, depending on your process. So that's probably, so right now we uh, have voted for a board to be the founding board for this new nonprofit. We had to do that as part of the application process. And so we're really in the process of just this board exactly, which Marissa and I are both on, are now beginning to become a lot more formal. We've already been meeting, but we want to begin to draft some, you know, early policy or we have to still finish our bylaws and then start looking at early policy and begin laying the organizational infrastructure for this nonprofit organization. That's probably our goal, um, at least the board member's goal. And then if the Hopi tribe refunds the project, we hope the project staff, you know, we can, they'll fund similarly the project staff to help us move it forward for the planning, all the architectural planning and um, is another goal is to get a sense of what kind of footprint you know the size of it we're looking at and some of the initial phases that we're looking at developing and then um securing a land site in another you know hopefully another year or so mm-hmm. i mean those are three huge things they're all moving at the same time and mm-hmm. we're not we're we work full time so we can be involved in all those conversations so that's why the project stuff is uh, really key to keeping those pieces moving um I don't know. Those is probably next. I can only see about a year ahead. Strategic planning is on our agenda to to help you know make develop timelines around those around those moving pieces, but also to to look to the future. You know, in terms of how we want to approach start approaching fundraising once we do get our incorporation papers solidified. Um, We already have draft bylaws. It's just Mm -hmm. yeah, going through them and revisiting it and approving that as board 
Um, so we were already working on all of this stuff before we even had Got a board. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we were drafting things we and pulling policies. We were pulling old, I mean, PD's position descriptions yeah. from organization. We did a lot of research all sitting in a file yeah. ready for us to start moving on. I think the other big piece that we have to really clarify is I mentioned earlier that there's always going to be a connection to the Hopi tribe through the preservation office mm-hmm. on this project, despite it being a nonprofit. So one of the big areas that we'll, we hope to focus on in the year, within this next year is to define, through a memorandum of understanding or mm-hmm. a memorandum of agreement, define what that relationship looks like mm-hmm. and who will be responsible for what and who's doing what. Because right now we, we, we don't have a clear sense of that and that's what we need to have in place. So, um, you know, we hold each other accountable for for that mm. those pieces or you know the, that part of whatever we agree to to move it forward because we we don't see the preservation office going away i hope not because they have a lot of work to do mm-hmm. we are not assuming a lot of preservation office work unless they wanted to give it to us and we talk about you know mm-hmm. if and yes and how and when and um so so that means that's a lot of work that needs to happen in this next year in addition, in addition to that, I just look at it as how we want to share responsibilities because mm-hmm. then we also have our Hopi Bewat um, task team members, um, which is another entity um, that's separate from the board. Um, so we have like three, two other partners, um, meanwhile, two entities that we're want, really wanting to define roles and responsibilities around. Um, hopefully that's going to happen in our strategic planning yeah. session mm-hmm. going, coming up. Um, another priority that we determined at our last meeting was going back to relationship building. So starting to meet with the villages again, um, letting them know who we are, um, have, having them meet our board members, um, task team members, um, and CPO staff. You know, um, to make sure you know that they understand what it is that we're we're trying to do and then bring others to the table that's willing to help. So um, there's a lot of different ways that people can contribute at this point because it's it's um, bigger it's than, still a than baby, us. Baby, way bigger, yeah. <laughs> and so we're, we just keep that door open, you know, mm-hmm. for anybody that wants to come to the table and contribute in some way. There's, there's so much work um, that needs to get done. And so we're just working on what's immediate right now. Um, but yet in the future, we look at um, work, um, developing working groups um, to help design, you know, help further mm-hmm. the design of the museum. Um, and then, uh, and what is it that the community wants? We have some um, feedback from that from the past plans, but this, is that still present today? Um, and how do we want to make sure that that's included? And how this, how is that going to be delivered in the future? You know, so really getting some insight and perspective into that. Um, so yeah, it's it's. Um, I'm really excited to seeing how the next couple of years is going to go, and looking forward to that strategic planning because mm-hmm. I think that's going to really help um, create transparency for all our working groups that we have right now. Clarity, clarity, mm-hmm. yeah. and some deadlines. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well. I want to thank you too for uh, giving of your time today and sharing this process that has many, many moving parts and has been going on for decades now. Um, <laughs> any final thoughts before we close out and uh, let you move on for today? Um, just thank you for for uh, stopping us for a little while and talking about it because you know when you when you're doing any kind of work you just go 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 and it's really great to stop and reflect and. 
Um, we need to, we were kind of good at that for a while. We haven't done that recently. And this is giving me a good, uh, reminders of a lot of things before we've been, um, in the course of strategic planning we have coming up also will help us do that. But it's, it's helpful for us to, um, to stop a little bit and reflect and share what we've learned. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope this, at least this far in the game that we've been involved helps others. Um, it's, it's um, important to decide on on your core um, core value of how you're approaching work. Mm-hmm. And for us, it was this is for Hopi by Hopi, and we mm-hmm. have enough people mm-hmm. committed in our community today to, to make this happen on our own. And it's not going to happen fast, but it's going to be it's going to happen right. It's going to happen from from that perspective, and and um, we don't know what we're doing, and that's okay. You know, but we're taking the time to figure that out and make sure um, that we feel good about the decisions mm-hmm. we're making, and that's important as we move forward. So, I encourage anyone to, if you've been thinking about that thing that you've been waiting for, maybe it's you. Maybe you're the one that needs to pick that up and and get it going and started and build that team because there's a lot of work that we need to do in our communities, and it's up to us to do it. You know, we, we are the ones who are going to make our communities what we want it to be and how we want it to be. So encourage those to and other tribal communities to do the same. Thanks for listening to the Heritage Voices podcast. You can find show notes at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash Heritage Voices. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Music Store. Also, if you like the show, please share with your friends or write us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or show suggestions, please reach out to me at jessica at livingheritageanthropology.org. Or you can find me on Facebook through Living Heritage Anthropology or on Twitter at Living Heritage A. As always, thank you to Lyle Blanqua and Jason Nez for their collaboration on our incredible logo. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more. Info. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.